Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are right now actively involved in going through a checklist on how to figure out if a company is wonderful, if you understand it, if it's on sale, if your values match up, if you've done your inversions properly. That's all the things we got a checklist for. <laughs> we're getting very detailed about it here. We hope we're not boring you to tears. I don't know why we you keep find saying it fascinating. that. I think it's super interesting. I don't know. I mean, checklists just by their, almost by definition are boring, you know? It's just like, oh God, we got to oh do this checklist. God. No, it's the best part. You get to see if you've figured out all the little nooks and crannies. It's like, seriously, the worst part is the whole like initial process. The best part is the going back and like checking it and discovering what you missed and what you found. It's like, there are some people who have a really hard time writing and not either of us, obviously. That's a joke. Who's um, <laughs> we? Wrote a book. Um, very painfully. Um, yeah, really. Uh, but so for a lot of people, like, it's really, really hard to get the words onto the page. But then once the words are there, then editing it is a comfortable experience and actually, like, great. And that's how I feel like this is. It's kind of like the editing. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that that's um, pretty good. Pretty pretty good. I see this by the way, just as a warning for those of you who are going to use a checklist, and that should be everybody. They're fabulous. Um, whether you use ours or you know use ours as a place to start building your own, edit ours, work your own out. Um, but the key thing is that you really take it seriously when you do it. It's I'm starting to see just having my own analysts use this checklist how easy it is to put a, a kind of a facile answer into the into the thing. You just mm. gloss it over mm -hmm. and think you've done the work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they do that occasionally and then they send it over to me. And it, you just as a, I'm, I'm looking at it independently of their, their thought process. And you just see these glaring holes in what was supposed to be a completed checklist. Yeah, I mean, that's, to me, like, that's nothing to say about any given person like that we all do that it's we all like that. so clear yeah. in our own minds right and that's and then you put it down and you're like well it's still fantastic and then somebody else reads it and is like you miss like half the point what's up yeah <laughs> and you would yeah, never I've... realize that without getting out of your own head and again to analogy to analogize to the writing process it's having an outside editor saying like you missed an entire word here. And because your own brain fills in that word so obviously, um, which it literally does, um, yeah. you didn't yeah. have, you would have never figured out that you missed that word. So super important thing, a checklist is to have somebody looking at what you did when you filled it out, who 
doesn't share your point of view at all, right? They, they haven't looked at this before. I mean, get somebody that's not even an investor who, who if they're willing to, to look at that piece of it. I mean, these are relatively I short actually pieces, right? totally agree with that. Like, I found that when I talk to people who are investors but have a different way of doing it, they spend the whole time like trying to spin it to their methodology and their point of view. And that's just kind of feels like a waste of my time because that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to right. discover facts. And um, and I think your point is is excellent that finding somebody who's like a smart person in your life who just can be like, so what does this company do? And you have to sort of realize like, oh, I never actually like put that into two hmm. sentences. Hmm. That's supposed to be the uh, hmm, answer to number three. Well, there. they do this really right. complicated thing and it's going to take me 15 minutes. No, you got to be able to tell them what this company does in, in you know, one three sentence, sentences. Or guess what? Yeah. It's not a simple, predictable business and you got no business playing there. Yeah. It's right. those kinds of experiences that are really helpful. And That's the key is right. to not take it personally, which, you know, natural, we all do it. Like, it feels like, oh, that sucks. I, I screwed up. I don't want to oh, go yeah. do the pain. I'm, I'm over this and it's probably fine. And no, that's, that's the hard yeah. part is going back afterwards and, and following up. Yep. So at this point we have arrived, I think, in the checklist to what I would say would be a really important point, place in the process of analyzing a company. We have taken a look to see if other great investors are in there. Um, and then we have started and we've understood how this connects to us um, in some way in our lives, right? So we're connected to this business. And then we've really sort of come to the conclusion, I hope, you know, assuming that this checklist has gone well with this company, that this is a pretty dang great business at this point. Because you've gone through how this business fits in into your worldview and into the industry that they're in. That's the meaning of the business. How it's protecting itself from competition. That's the moat of the business. The management team, all the indications that they're doing the right things. That's the management part of the checklist. So we're, we're down into the understanding part of this story, right? We start with radar and then we understand the business through the meaning, moat, management, and finally in margin of safety. But the meaning, moat, and management aspect of the checklist of understanding the business is what tells us this is a wonderful business. It, you, you must conclude at the end of those three pieces of this thing that you've got your hands on a really great business here, or you don't have to go any farther. Ah, I see. Yeah, I see where you're going. You're done. Because if this is not a wonderful business, you don't want to buy it. If it's too complicated, you don't want to buy it. There's no point in trying to figure out the value of the business if you can't understand the business or if it's not a wonderful business. Neither of those things or both of those things are going to prevent you from stepping one step further. The thing goes into the no or the too hard box and you're done. That's it. So stepping into the next part of the checklist is a big, big step. It tells you okay, or it should say to you, okay, I have concluded, at least to this level of research, that this is a wonderful business. This is absolutely worth pursuing to the degree I've studied it so far. And I now want to look at what it's worth. Mm -hmm. So now we're at the point where we're going, okay, assuming this is wonderful, and what that means, by the way, is something really simple. 
it means it's a business I understand. It's going to be more productive in 10 years. Is that the, point the number one? No, it, it's was not. That, well, yeah, that, actually it was is. Was that all of the previous <laughs> points? No, it's, oh, it, yeah, actually, it absolutely is. <laughs> that is point number one. We're, we're now on to understanding the margin of safety of the business. In this particular case, we're looking at it through the eyes of the 10 cap valuation process. So this is going to be the 10 cap price of the business, this particular part of the checklist. This is only, the checklist only covers the 10 cap. Nope. The checklist oh. covers 10 cap payback time and the discounted cash flow analysis that we call the margin of safety analysis. So it covers three different views of price and value. Oh, okay. So then what were you just saying about it only being the this 10 is, cap? This piece of the, of the entire checklist. Oh, this section. I would call understanding the 10 cap price of the business. So we're still in the large category of understanding the business. We're now into a subcategory of valuation and the sub-subcategory of the 10-cap pricing method, if you want hierarchic to hierarchical it. Okay. I'm putting pricing 10-cap. And, and I just said that the key thing, now that you've sort of gone through the first steps of understanding the business, the key thing in being able to do a 10-cap pricing on this business is being highly confident. And this is number one on the checklist. I am highly confident that this business will be larger and more productive in 10 years. I am highly confident that, that this business, business will be bigger. Will be, that's productive. not what you said. Will be what exactly? <laughs> Bigger would be a synonym for larger. <laughs> <laughs> I have no memory of what you said, but I knew it wasn't bigger, but that's really funny that it was larger. Larger, larger will work there. <laughs> will be. And keywords, and keywords here. Larger and larger. what? And more productive. And more productive. Yep. So if we, if we were to think in of. In what? There was some more in of 10 that. years. In 10 in years. In 10 years. Right. So now we're taking a very long view and you can't do that. This is super important. You cannot take a long view of a business that you don't understand. That you, you just can't. You have to have gotten to a point where you really understand this business pretty well. And you can look at it and say just as confidently about this business that's going to be more productive and larger in 10 years as you can about buying a rental house like that I could right here where we live, south of Atlanta, I can confidently state, you know, that this is this is an area that's going to, the housing rents will be higher in 10 years than they are today. Very confident about that. Why? Location. And why else? Location and location. You know, the county is doubling in size. We're too close to the Atlanta airport, not to double in size. Businesses are moving down here like crazy. So I have a high degree of confidence that that rental per month is going to be higher in 10 years than it is today. And that confidence tells me, means the business will be larger and more productive. The business being renting that house. That's my business, renting yep. that house. Okay. okay. I want you to be that confident about the prospects of this business. 
So if we were to put this in terms of Chipotle again, ad infinitum, because it's such a such a good business, that they're building 100 to 200 restaurants a year. And they're doing it out of free cash flow. And they only had 2,000 to start with, and their competitors have thousands of restaurants. Not only that, but they've just added a drive-through, and they've just added takeout, and they've just added catering. I mean, right? I mean, they're just doing all these things that say, good Lord, it's it's going to be a bigger, there's plenty of room. They don't have any direct competition. It's It's going to be bigger in 10 years. I don't have anything to add to this one. I mean, I think we were laughing about it, but I, I think all the check marks or lack thereof to this point is whether or not you're going to be able to check that one off. Yep. I think they all come to this. And if you can check that off, you are almost home for putting this one up on your watch list. Um, I think you really are home for putting it up on your watch list. Everything from this point on is just waiting to see if it goes on sale. Um, and uh, and being confident that you understand the value of the business. So, okay, we're, that's number one for understanding the 10 cap on this thing. Number two is, um, is something I'm going to change. <laughs> okay. All right. So when we, wrote in, when we wrote Invested, um, oh, okay. we talked about... Wait, you're saying you're not changing your checklist. It's something that's... No, this is something that we have changed that I've changed and I haven't told you I've changed it, <laughs> Okay. but I'm changing it. Okay. Um, all right. So here's, here's the deal. When we wrote invested, um, we talked about owner earnings and we found a formula for owner earnings. That was an attempt to understand Warren Buffett's formulation of owner earnings. Yeah. Yeah. Now it turns out there was some stuff I didn't know. Turns out that Warren was making that, analysis of owner earnings in 1986. At that point in 1986, my CPAs tell me, and I didn't know, there was no cash flow statement. Really? Apparently. That's confusing. There was just income statement, balance sheet. And then People were concerned that you weren't getting the full picture of a public company. And Warren came out and stated the full picture would require you to do what amounts to an, a cash flow statement. And that's what he was doing there. He was basically doing a cash flow statement. Hmm. And his formulation looks very much like a cash flow statement, except that it's very vague in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, and then you subtract and add these things, whatever yeah. it depends on the company. Yeah. Okay, well, CPAs have gotten together and come up with the generally accepted accounting principles about what a cash flow statement should add and subtract to get you to the actual operating cash flow of the business which is what Warren was trying to do. And my CPA friends have basically told me, you, you, you did a good variation of this, but the actual best one to do is just really simple. Just use the operating cash flow. Wow, I am like ecstatic right now. This is... <laughs> I thought you were going to be mad at me. I have always had a lot of trouble with that equation because it's 
as you said to me many times, it's a janky methodology trying to get at what Buffett was trying to create without really knowing how he did it. And you did the best you could. And I think it's a really good shot. But to hear that actual accountants have a more accurate method, which is way easier. That's awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> Want to hear something this funny? This is amazing. You know, who, you know who actually really pushed this forward is Andy Bargerstock. He's the best. I know. He's such a smarty. He, I just tell everybody, Danielle grew up with his daughter. He's so so cool. We we know have known Andy for forty years, and um, he's a terrific member of our faculty and and teaches at university level. And his students win accounting prizes all around the country. And he's fabulous, a great CPA. And he convinced me finally after really several years that uh, we should just go to the operating cash flow and use that number. Now we're not done, however. I totally am excited to look into this because while I. Uh numbers are not my thing because they're not my thing it's important that i understand what's going on with them so i'm really excited to like check this out and i think that if if andy says that it's true then frankly i am very i I basically like would totally (laughs) take that like no problem but um (laughs) but i want to go like check it out and compare it to our equation that we have in the book this is this is like amazing yeah, this is this is gonna make things easier. How did so you not I'm sorry, I just have a personal note. How did you not call me immediately and announce life-changing news? I have a way of calculating owner earnings, which involves no calculations. We j- I just did it. Okay. Oh, that's a good answer. I literally okay, just did it. I haven't even um finished the slides for the next workshop to change the way we're teaching this, which is going to happen tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Good. So that's how I, I would have, I would have done it sooner, but I'm actually not finished changing the slides. And then I was going to call you. I thought, <laughs> all right, we'll just, just happens. We're talking about it today. So here we are. Perfect. I love that. Um, through the <laughs> podcast, we share important information. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably, well, that's just how we roll. That's just how so, it is. Um, okay. So the Earn, second thing on the checklist. Earnings. Okay. Well, okay, okay. The second thing is, I am using historically reasonable owner earnings. Describe. Oh, excuse me, owner earnings. I'm using historically reasonable operating cash flow. Oh. Okay, describe. Okay. That means that when you're looking at a business uh, numbers over time, let's say operating cash flow, which is the, f- the first major line on a cash flow statement is is summarized as operating cash flow. Um, and then the second, the second major chunk is investing cash flow. And the third major chunk is financing cash flow. And those things all produce your actual cash numbers coming through your company. The one we're most concerned with here is operating cash flow. And that will be a number that you can look at across time. Like if you were to go over to our toolbox, you would see it across time or um, any, any place that consolidates data on companies consolidates their financial statements, you'll be able to see years of operating cash flow numbers. Yes. One after the other. And what you want to see is that you're not using an outlier as a starting point for figuring out the 10 cap. You're, in other words, companies can have really astonishingly good years for a reason that has nothing to do with them. They're not 
going to really be growing that fast. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying essentially see, cre- create yourself a nice windage operating cash flow number yes, to use windage in a operating cap. cash flow. Thank you. Windage operating cash flow. Yeah. So you want to just, you know, make sure that it's in a consistently predictable line of numbers that you would be willing to say, yeah, I, I'm really confident that this is a reasonable cash flow, operating cash flow for the company at that point in time. Yeah, like it's not like been a crazy year. And so not been a super all crazy the, year or, you know, worse or better. Um, I'm, I'm not too worried I, about it if it's been a crappy year, because that's only going to make you more conservative. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's been a really good year, you might be over overpricing the company a tad. I thought that when you said historically reasonable, I thought you meant something like to do with like 1986 and how there was no cash oh. flow statements back in the day or something no. like that. No. Okay. Just that it looks like it's probably right right about where they should be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right? So, and if so, it isn't, you can adjust it. If it's lower than where they should be, you know, great. Run a 10 cap on that and maybe you can buy the company at that price. But you really kind of want to make sure it's ballparkish normal and run it from there. So these are really steps rather than... Or this one, anyway, is kind of just a step rather than a checklist item. I don't know. I call it a checklist item. I'm checking that box, but it is a step that you would take. All right. All right. You do the third one. It's your checklist. Okay, go ahead. Third one. Thank you. Is I've calculated using historically reasonable maintenance capital expenditures. So I want to look at the 10K here, and um, and I'm going to type into the 10K capital expenditures right there on that little slot where you can type in words and it goes and finds them in the 10k. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to do that and um and it'll it'll bring me to everywhere in the 10k it talks about capitalization. And one of those sections, typically the investing part portion, the investing notes in the in the cash flow section will discuss in uh, we'll discuss what they spend on capital expenditures last year and may predict what they'll spend next year. Right? That's pretty typical. What you're hoping for is they also discuss the breakup, the breakout between what portion of that is maintaining the company and what portion is for growing the company. So many companies don't split that out. I have almost never found that. It's okay. really annoying. So guess what? We have an answer for you now. After a lot of research on this from Dr. Andy Bargerstock <laughs> and also from, uh, from Andy Harriton, our other CPA, who's our chief compliance officer, they've concluded that across all the companies that they've studied, the range of percentage of capital expenditures, that is maintenance, runs from 20 to 80%. Almost no companies have 100% maintenance capital expenditures. Almost everybody has some growth capital expenditures. Yeah. And on average, they're gonna we're gonna default the toolbox in the new iteration in the toolbox. We're gonna default it to 50% of capital expenditure is maintenance. So if you don't have any information, if I don't have any information in the 10K otherwise, and I can't figure it out from anything I know about the company then I'm going to 
default, unless it's a railroad or something where it's obviously chewing up a huge amount of capital expenditure to just maintain the thing, I'm going to default to 50%. Okay. So if, 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 if Chipotle Mexican Grill shows $200 million of capital expenditures, which is a line item just in just below operating cash flow, you open up investing uh, or you look in the investing cash flow section of the of the uh, cash flow statement, and there'll be a line that says capital expenditures, or it'll say purchase of property and equipment. Those mean the same thing. And that line is the total of all the capital expenditures, including maintenance capital expenditures. So if Chipotle's line says $200 million, and I don't know any better, I'll use $100 million for their maintenance capital expenditure. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, if I go to the 10K for Chipotle, I can find one of the 10K years, 2015, they wrote out what their capital expenditures actually were. Turned out it was 57 million. So if I have that number, then I'm going to use that number to determine what the owner earnings are for Chipotle. You're nodding. This makes sense. Yeah, I'm 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 a little perturbed by the I guess so like the way you taught me was that if I didn't know I couldn't have a reasonable guess reasonable estimation at the maintenance capital expenditures then i didn't understand that company well enough and now you're saying use a default 50 percent and it uh, i mean i get why you're saying that because you want to just like run the number but right i want to um, run the number that doesn't let me seems off the hook to me like like not a great uh out because <laughs> i don't want to give myself any outs <laughs> well fair enough and and by the way, when I'm talking about knowing the company well enough to figure out what the cap maintenance capital expenditures are, there are you can know a company really, really well. And if they don't disclose that number, oh, you're not going to know it. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to know it. No. And, but... and so what you need to know is is fifty percent a pretty reasonable guess? Because we're going to default to that, or is a better guess eighty percent, or is a better guess twenty percent? Right? Yeah, yeah. In other words, just from knowing the company. If you don't feel competent to make a good guess, then you probably don't know the company well enough. Or you don't know the industry well enough, perhaps. I mean, now that I'm even saying that, I think in real life, it's always such a giant black box of unknowable information that I always end up... Well, I mean, I find like all the info I can find in the annual report and often they'll talk about, they won't talk about maintenance ever, but they'll talk about growth a lot. And so usually what I do is try to subtract those sorts of expenses and come up with something. And I know that that's still not probably just maintenance because there's probably stuff they didn't mention, blah, blah, blah. But that's how I usually do it. And it's still very much like, all right, I guess that's good enough. <laughs> and that and that's right. Ultimately, you're doing, all right, it's, you know, we're in the ballpark here. And that's that comes from understanding the business well enough to be knowing that you're in the ballpark here. And 
Second, that you know that our pricing technology here, our, our pricing strategies are to give us a big margin of safety price to purchase so that if we have gotten this off somewhat, we still have a margin of safety. Very much. Yes. Agree. Okay. So okay. that's maintenance CapEx. And then now you've got to do one more thing. What's the one more thing? You got to add back in the tax provision from the income statement. Right. So just if you're going to calculate the 10 cap off of this off of this uh, this checklist, you got to add in the the tax tax provision is usually what they call it off of the income statement. So what you're looking for in our methodology of doing the 10 cap is a pre-tax number that you can compare to a rental house that you own. Now, you know, if you're, you're making money on that rental house, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. You're going to have to pay income tax and a corporation has to pay income tax, but we're going to do this pre-tax. And then that gives us a sort of apples to apples view of the world, whether we're looking at a farm or a rental house or a building or a company, we're looking at them roughly the same kind of way. And as you know, I, I would imagine in Zurich, it'd be very, very difficult to go find a house you could rent out and get 10% yield on your on your uh, free cash flow that's coming off the house. I doubt you could buy houses like that uh, in Zurich. Completely impossible, yes. Right. You can still buy them here in Georgia. Yeah, I bet you can. <laughs> oh, shut up. There's a lot of rural land around that city. Well, we just don't have the kind of money that people have in the city, you know, and there's not the limitation on building. So you end up with, you know, if rents get too high, people start buying homes or building homes. Yeah. And just build one. Whereas or like, they'll live in a trailer. Like you you almost can't find that in California, for example, because it's completely right. built out. Switzerland yeah. is completely built out. California. Vancouver what? got to a two cap. Wow. Vancouver, B.C.? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, all money was coming over from Asia like crazy and just bidding things up. Mm -hmm. So I mean, um, in Jackson Hole, you can't get Jackson Hole anything. No you know, you, you, two to three cap. So the so. point being, a ten cap has a lot of margin of safety in it. That's that's the point of that. Ah, so yes. you don't have to be so perfect. Here. Can I just mention here for context why you're talking about income tax? This comes from the formula for owner earnings that we originally had. Right. And I'm I'm looking over here at our book. And so the formula we used to have was net income plus, and these can be negative or positive, plus depreciation and amortization, the net change of the accounts receivable and the net change of the accounts payable. So I'm just going through that really quickly because now you're just using operating cash flow instead of those numbers. But right. the rest of the equation, which is the income tax and the maintenance capital expenditures, you are still using though. You're still adding them back right. in. Right. Okay. So the basic formula is really simple now. It's just you take operating cash flow minus maintenance capital expenditures plus tax provision. Yeah. And that's yeah. on earnings. There yeah. you go. Now you guys can calculate that on anything. Pretty simple. Um, cool. Okay. Thoughts, questions? That's it. That's that's the list. No, I, oh, I one think- One more thing. I've, I have I've, one more thing on the list. Okay. The last thing on the list is if I owned all of this business, I really could pocket the owner earnings. 
I really could pocket the owner. What, what does that mean? That means you don't, you really want to look at a business the way you'd look at a rental house. No, I mean, what does that mean to, I could really pocket the earnings? Well, um, because there's, you know, a million owners of Apple or something, they're not going to, and because there's a taxation problem with dividends, they're not going to take all the owner earnings and, and pass them out, right? They're not going to give them to everybody. Plus mm-hmm. they want to have a cushion. Apple's got a $200 billion cushion going. But if I own the business, I might not care about that cushion. What I want to see is that the owner earnings are real. I, I know the business well enough that the owner earnings are real. I really could take them out of the business. The business would continue to operate. It's not going to suddenly fall apart because I've, you know, somehow faked oh. myself out here. So I want to make sure that I'm doing a real number, that I, I really could get a 10% yield on this company, even though I'm not going to actually be able to receive a 10% yield because they're not going to pay me dividends like that. Um, when I bought Apple back when it was at a little bit around, I was running around 90 bucks a share. It was, it was yielding, owner earnings at Apple were yielding 11%. So it was at an 11 cap, okay? But okay. that doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to literally get an 11% cash yield on my $90 purchase. In other words, they're not going to give me $10 a share every year in cash flow. It's sure. just theoretical. You look puzzled. Yeah, because you said it's just theoretical, but your checklist point is I could really pocket the owner earnings. Right. If, if I was the only owner, if I was the sole owner, the reason it's theoretical is because there's millions of owners. You got a management team that has their own agenda, right? And they're running things. But if I was the sole owner, that management team would be reporting directly to me the way they report to Warren Buffett. Sure. If I was the sole owner. Of that I don't business. understand how you would ever not check this. If your criteria is, if I was the sole owner, I could do whatever I wanted with this company's income. Yeah. Well, that's I can't do whatever I want. I can't do whatever I want with the company's income. I, if I'm calculating this correctly, I could do whatever I want with the owner earnings. Yeah. That's what I meant. Owner earnings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just being Um, precise here. So owner earnings is literally the money I could take out of the business. If I didn't want to grow it, because obviously we're going to use. But that, I mean, that would be true of any company that if, any person controlled well, you solely. Know what? I, th- I think you're so making it, a good point. It, you're getting at something different than that. You know what you're, I'm getting at? I'm getting at the problem that was created by not using operating cash flow. Tell me more about that. Well, by using operating cash flow, I really don't have to ask that question because you're right. Operating cash flow is real cash. In other words, I I know that I it's think real what cash. you're really asking here is: is this cash actually there. available? Right. Or is it sort of imaginary? Like you just said, like, well, I can't take the income. Is it sort of like imaginary cash? Is it owed to the company? Is it whatever? Is it on the accounting sheets, but not well, really? The main, the main thing it would be used for is working capital and and actually using the operating cash flow statement calculates the working capital perfectly. Whereas before we were taking pieces of working capital only. 
And that required that I go back and look and make sure that I haven't gutted the company of the cash it needs to operate. Oh, I see, I see, I see. So by using operating cash flow, we got around that problem. I can actually take that off of the list. This is great. Wow. That's to really exciting. I'm learning something by trying to teach it. Okay. There you go. I'm going to cross it out. Whew. All right. So, cross it off. That's fabulous. So dead. <laughs> um, what's the, I mean, what we've done here is made a calculation with these checklist points. So you think they're and not very checklisty. I don't care. No, I, that doesn't bother me. They're fine. Okay. What's kind of like the, so what, like, where's the part about like, it's a reasonable price or like, I don't know, like where's the, where's the result or is that not matter for the checklist? Oh, it matters. I need to put that on there. That's a, <laughs> I don't have that on the checklist and you're right. It needs to be on the checklist. Wow. Okay. okay. Well, it might, it might not go on the checklist because if, if the result here is you get the number, you know the 10 cap price, maybe that's just, that's it. That's the number. It's, you don't know if it's reasonable or not, or a good margin of safety price or not yet. Maybe, I don't know. Well, maybe that's the, why it's, it's not funny because I'm missing, I'm missing the concluding um, checklist point on the other two methods of valuation. Um, which is I'm confident enough in this price that I would put 20% of my net worth into this one business. Wait, it, that's on the other ones or that mm -hmm. is not? Oh, I see. It's not on this one, but it should be on this one. And that but kind I of think, speaks to what you're I asking. think I wouldn't put it on any of them. I think it would be a sort of conclusory, is that a word? A, con a concluding, um, a concluding point once you've calculated all three of them. Okay. No, okay, I don't good. know. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably true. You wouldn't want to make that decision just based on one view of this. Exactly. Exactly. Which is the point all of right, doing cool. three. And that's the way I'll, that's the way I'll restructure. That's really good. Cause I've, I've been tumbling over that when I'm getting back my, my checklist from my analysts. It's like, Hmm, where is it that you actually give me a conclusion about this stuff? And it just isn't clear than the checklist the way it was. Okay, I'm going to rewrite that part of it. That's pretty good. Okay. Now, if we haven't thoroughly confused all of you guys. Well, I don't feel confused. That's it for the 10 cap. That's it. That's <laughs> all there is. So we'll go on to the other two methods uh, coming up next time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I feel like we sort of went into a, a, a down a rabbit hole right there and we haven't really come out. But we'll try to come out a little better. As we go through the payback time checklist well, yeah. and the margin of safety checklist. I think they all go together and that's important. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Triangulation. Okay. Well, until then. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, 
nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.